Welcome to All Road 65 Max Radio, where the road ahead gets brighter as we journey toward truth, traveling through our dreams and inspiration into a new reality. It's time, and your ticket is waiting. All aboard All Roads Lead 65 Max with Pamela Henderson. Greetings and welcome to BBS Radio All Road 65 Max. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson. My mission is my statement to help create a quality of life through social growth, inspiring jewels to become leaders by establishing partnerships with corporations, nonprofits, donor sponsors, volunteers the community, and abroad. Please join me every other Tuesday at noon on BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max. My special guest today is Miss Denny Meek, award-winning author of the new book, Still Standing, a mother's raw journey from the shadows of loss to the dawning of hope. She educates us on how we can still stand amongst the hardest crisis. Still Standing is being used in a few different universities throughout Australia. Every parent's nightmare is to lose a child. In this rare circumstance, Denny has lived the nightmare, not once, but three times. In her award-winning book, Still Standing, she reveals a poignant, well-written, and shocking look inside a mother's heart, mind, and soul. She has had to grieve over and over unbearable losses. At last, thank you for this interview chance, Denny, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Pamela. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're so welcome. As you see, when I was reading and talking about your journey, within myself, I had to stop because it's touching mm. and it's touching as a mother, as we go on when we are on our journey and we have to experience these challenges and obstacles and loss of our loved ones. Mm. And my heart goes out to you and I am honored and humbled of having you on my show. And I thank you so much. How's thank the you. weather? Uh -huh. Well, it <laughs> It's five o'clock in the morning here in Australia. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's it's a little bit cool at the moment. We're just heading into winter next month. Mm. And how is COVID out there? COVID, uh, it's not too bad at the moment. I think the strains are weakening. Okay, so, good. Mm. 
So we have a lot to discuss and talk about. And I, I had to write some questions down because I didn't want to forget anything. Reading about who you are in your journey. And I just want to make sure that we let the world know who Denny is and where your focus and your passion lies. So my first question to you is, you have overcame adversity at its finest. I believe in sharing such stories as yours. And in my opinion, can you tell us how do we build a village of mothers who need support? Oh. I think the first thing we do is learn how to support ourselves as individuals. And I, I, I keep coming back at this time to addressing all the subjects that I've experienced in my life as a society. And we do that by doing what you and I are doing right now, by having public conversations about it and raising awareness. Mm. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Do you have any spiritual disciplines in place that has helped you to overcome the obstacles and challenges and loss that you have experienced and writing the book still standing? I've, I've come to redefine what the word spiritual means to me. I It used to mean, you know, I was read uh, the daughter, daughter of a Methodist minister, so spiritual meant that branch of grounded religion to me. But the term spiritual has come to mean my relationship to life and how I do it. And I, I believe that tending to my hurts is spirituality. And the number one way, the most important way that I did that was by journaling. So that's one practice. And that's something that I do every day. It's important to me. I make sure that I articulate myself thoroughly and deeply and say what I want to say. Um, that's my best tip, journaling. It worked for me very much. It helped me externalise. It continues to help me externalise whatever I'm going through, scrapes the top off the pain, records detail, and um, helps me see myself objectively. Um, apart from that, um, looking after your body is important. If you can do that while you're going through adversity, that will help you feel supported. Uh, if you can't get on the gym equipment, that's totally understandable. Maybe just go for a walk in nature and uh, pay attention to your sleep, you know, prioritise getting a good sleep and eating well if you can. And just being mindful of those things, even if you have to eat comfort food, being mindful that you're doing that for yourself. Yeah. That's great. That's, yeah. that's, that's thank you so much for explaining that. that that's, that's great. Mm. You are an award-winning author of the new book, Still Standing, A Mother's Raw Journey from the Shadows of Loss, as I stated earlier. How did you come up with the title when you had wrote your book and what is the meaning behind the statement? 
I could give you the the Australian Larrikins version, which is understates, you know, um, major challenges, but really the title's still standing. It was uh, suggested to me by the book mentor provided by my publishers. I had come up with a list of about 50 titles for my book, but they were all a bit sober and a bit sad. And this suggestion of still standing was celebratory. It, you know, celebrates uh, that great strengths can come from the most adverse circumstances. And that's really what I wanted. It's a beautiful message still standing. And it's one that I wanted to inspire every reader with. That they could dig into their own strengths when they needed to and pull them out and live them. So true. Mm. You're absolutely correct. We have a similar story. Even though the only loss that I have had so far was my mother on my journey. And that was the hardest. It, 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 and, you know, really, it it still bothers me, especially in June, because her birthday is June 11th. And I tend to get a little emotional. Yeah. However, I've lost my daughter. She's still alive, but meaning I lost her from not having a relationship because of this journey. Wow. And what really came out of it is raising my grandson who had overcame a lot of adversity himself and he's doing extremely well and um, he's a 4.0 in school and he's just a stand-up guy but his story itself can help other children and teens his age to know as well as us how you can overcome some of the hardest crises. So I do feel that is a blessing. I read your story and my heart became heavy, Denny. I am sorry for your loss. How devastating to lose an infant, two teenagers, to suicide, and your daughters who battled with anorexia. Is this something that happened all at one time? A lot of these um, experiences overlapped with each other. We've also got domestic violence in in that mix, and that was happening throughout. Yeah, so it was, and I do I believe that they're all interconnected too. Uh, they appeared to be happening one after the other you know, like bombs being dropped one after the other, but I do believe that they were all interconnected. Um, in my research, I came across some very shocking statistics, one of which is that children who live with domestic violence are four times more likely to develop a mental illness and six times more likely to commit suicide. Yes. So... You know, it was in the writing of my book and the putting of it together that I saw, was able to step back and see the bigger picture and how things affected each other. 
So it's important to me to put this out to to let other people know the bigger picture before they have to step back as I have and and look at the mess that's left after the bombs have been dropped. So yes, they did happen, um, you know, simultaneously. It was hard to structure the book and tell the story with all these subjects overlapping, but I, I think we got there. Mm. Yes. And how are you doing now? How are you feeling? How is how is Denny standing right now and dealing with everyday life? And did you move out of your home to start fresh and new? No. For some didn't. of the things that you did. I didn't move out of our home. The less disruption, the better. Uh, familiarity is has been com- a comfort to us, to my surviving son and me. Um, I do it a day at a time um, when it's really hard, just an hour at a time. That's how it was deep in the valley of grief, just uh, coming down into the moment and doing what I had to do, prioritising, sort of going into a state of psychological survival. Um, yeah. Well, you look good. Yeah, thank you. I think it's an ongoing journey, Pamela. It's not some, it's not a destination that you arrive at. I gathered a couple of psychological conditions, anxiety related conditions along the way. Um, generalized anxiety, uh, social anxiety, complex PTSD and they require managing. So uh, it's not a place that I arrive at and think, phew, I made it. It's an ongoing journey for me. Yes, and I yes. discover that uh, the book, um, having my beautiful book, yes, is, it's precious to me. <laughs> it's a place <laughs> I discovered after I published it that I'd written a place for all my children and me to be together as a family. No, that no such place had existed because one, my second son was lost as an infant and the son that I have now didn't know him. Um, but in, in this place, we are together as a family. So, um, and sharing the message of this has given me a purpose that holds me together. You know, I know that it's doing good in the world and uh, it gives me purpose and meaning. Yes. Your book, Still Standing, is currently being used in three Australian universities. Congratulations. Thank you. So you rewrote a social worker subject to use as required reading. Tell me about that. Well, I didn't rewrite the subject. Um, The professor of social work rewrote the subject. She She was given the book and she rewrote the subject for the social work course. Okay. Right, to make it required reading. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and how is it doing? Is it doing quite well? I think so. Yeah, I think okay. so. It's a great honour to me that the minds of tomorrow are being, uh, you know, influenced and affected by a story. Absolutely. And it is absolutely needed because mm-hmm. there are a lot of Denny's out there. Just like mm. there's a lot of Pamela's. Mm. And, you know, we don't hear about those particular individuals. However, mm. I know that they're out there. And I love sharing my story 
and I love inspiring others. And yes. I think it's so important to help and especially girls and women. We have to uplift each other more and be colorblind to what society puts out there for us. And we need to maintain our right. Yes. Loving yes. each other. Yes. And continually commit to doing that. Yes. That's Absolutely. a lovely mission you have. <laughs> As you stated, an average of 24 women per minute are victims of physical violence, including rape or stalking by an intimate partner. Were you a victim of domestic violence? Yes. Yes. How were you coping during the time with everything else going on as you were grieving? And I'm asking that question because I know you may have touched bases just a little while ago, but we're talking about you overcoming the abuse yourself mm. and getting through that with everything else going on. Mm. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? And how did you even cope with that? Yes, I'm happy to share anything you want to know. Thank you. <laughs> um, in, in Still Standing, I write a chapter uh, about domestic violence called Breaking the Silence. And, you know, it was hard for me to do that because I didn't want to leave uh, dirt on anybody in my book. Right. I just wanted to show respect to anybody that I wrote about. But this was a subject that needed airing. It, it very much needs attention because those statistics are not shifting. Here in Australia, it's one woman a week who's killed. It's more than that. Uh, we have a smaller population. But uh, since COVID, the rates have increased to one in three women being affected by domestic violence. That's that's. That's an urgency, you know, and again, thank you for addressing it by speaking about it openly. Um, uh, one of the first incidents that I share in Still Standing about domestic violence happens when our son was very sick. Our second son was born with a heart abnormality and he needed open heart surgery when he was 11 days old. So we went through a lot, and that's that puts a big strain on a marriage to have a very a seriously sick child. And there was an incident two days after my son's surgery. So he had been, you know, that's so I had given birth about fourteen days beforehand. Wow. Yeah. And all I could do was prioritise. I just had to put it behind me. I had to I had to pretend that that had not happened because I could not address it. We had a son in intensive care. He was a he was a baby, you know, little baby. Yeah. And on the ventilator and all the tubes and drips and monitors and seriously sick. And we had to put everything we had into fighting to keep him going and recovering. And that is what we did. We, we, my husband and I, continued to do that. 
we continued to help him recover and we were able to take him home. And it just gets shelved at a moment like that because it has to. It cannot take precedence over something that urgent. There were other times, uh, so I was in two two, uh, relationships of domestic violence. The second relationship involved different types of abuse, including verbal. And the verbal, you think, is not as dangerous because you can't see the damage, but I would argue that it's more dangerous. Well, obviously, if you lose your life with You don't compare, but um, it's insidious. Verbal abuse is insidious and it affects you in ways that you cannot see. It also affects the children. They don't have to be directly involved to be affected. And, you know, I want to bring in that statistic again about children who live with domestic violence. It was was incredibly shocking to me and I, I want people to know about it I lost my children you know they they were uh, secondary victims of domestic violence but there's a lot that goes into a suicide Pamela it's um it's layered this was one of the layers um so I don't know if I've answered your question adequately, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on, and I think it just gets shelved when other other things uh, prioritise themselves. But eventually, obviously, I did leave uh, both of those relationships, and the damage continues in me. I believe that the, the complex PTSD had its roots there. Uh, complex PTSD you you sustain when You have not been able to escape the abusive situation and there's a pervading sense of powerlessness with complex PTSD and that's something that I continue to struggle with now. It's 28 years since I left that last violent relationship and I know that when you have stresses in your life, it exacerbates conditions that you you are challenged by so these con- these conditions, the generalised anxiety, social anxiety and complex PTSD take managing for me. Awareness is the first step. Yeah. That is so true. Are you in a group forum discussing to be able to, you know, as women we have to express and get that sorrow that depression, that what keeps us feeling bad about things that happen in our lives. So are you involved in any type of organization, group forum that you go to and you can discuss with some others that has some of the same similar issues as you? I'm not at the moment, but I have been in the past. Um, I'm in the process of affiliating with different organisations to see how I can lend my voice to support them. Uh, Years ago, many years ago, I was involved with groups. Uh, One group I went to was run by Lifeline here in Australia and it was a therapy group for women exploring 
anger. Okay. A lot of us had been in violent situations. Some women were there because they they were very good at expressing anger. <laughs> <laughs> and others of us were there because we were not. We were not good at expressing anger, which is, um, you know, that's something that contributes to the dynamic and uh, especially with narcissism. I don't right. know that term in with this, but, you know, it was relevant to my situation. And um, narcissism sort of requires that you take a back step and that you don't assert yourself. So this was something that we needed to learn to do. Very important. Mm. Absolutely. Whenever you deal with narcissism, you have to understand that's the, that's the time you have to be at your strongest. Mm. And I can say I've been sexually harassed for nine years. However, I stand my ground. Mm. And a narcissist has to understand, even though we know they don't, you have to make them understand him or her would know is because I have boundaries mm. and there's nothing that you can do to make me cross that boundary. Mm. I know. And so this is what I try to teach other girls and women whom have gone through a lot of obstacles and challenges and dealing with control and abuse. You have to get to that point in your life where you say enough is enough. Mm. And I tell you, silence is your weapon. Because you don't you don't have to give that individual that energy. Mm. And a lot of times it's being looked at like, oh, you think you're too good for this or she thinks she's all that. Well, you know what I say? I am. Yeah, good for you. That's what I say. Good for you. You think that way. I am. <laughs> you can you can think and I'm something. gonna keep moving. Yeah, you know, you, you, and that is totally important, and that's the reason why I'm glad that we touched on this particular subject because it's very, very important for all of us as girls and women. That's all. I mean, right now with everything that we have going on, you know, I don't watch TV, mm. and I look at a little bit of different things that come on, you know. YouTube and just tap it of the news because you want to stay abreast just, just in case, you know, you want to know what's really going on. However, for the past two weeks, all I've been looking at is men killing women. And just not me finding that channel, it's just there. Yeah. Where they cannot take the rejection. And I say, when you know you are in an abusive relationship, 
and you know when you have had enough. You got to sort out some plans about how you do yeah. things. Yeah. And put certain things in place, not just a restraining order, but there's mm -hmm. other things you have to do. And when you're dealing with someone who is irate, has a lot of anger problems, bad behavior problems, and just don't care about life, mm. sometimes you have to take the road towards protection. Yes, definitely. definitely. And how do you feel about that? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you know, ideally, and it's not ideal, and most people have extenuating circumstances, right. I would say leave. And I know that it's not that straightforward for, for many people, but take it seriously is what I would say because it's going to do damage of some kind. Yeah. Whether you see it or not, whether it's registering inside you or not, it is. I uh, My life is a testament to that. You know, I consider myself a strong woman and always did and always felt I could take care of myself. But uh, I'm left with conditions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I'm feeling good and strong, I say, no, no, they're not there anymore and they don't affect me. And maybe that's a good stance to take psychologically for myself. But when the stress is on, they start to surface and they are there and I do need to manage them. And this is part of my history. And it has affected my life on the most personal level it possibly could. There are other reasons that I, I lost my big children, but this was a factor. You know, it's um, uh, I had a counsellor. I've always availed myself of good mental help, you know, in the form of counsellors, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists. I've always availed myself of that help. That's my background, psychology. Yes. And um, one counsellor said, uh, you know, at the first instance of violence, you leave, but it's very important psychologically in the moment of abuse to do something to stand up for yourself, whatever, however menial that is, it's very important. One time, will I share? Absolutely. Okay, one time I was... I was being pinned to the ground uh, with the abuser sitting on me and holding my arms and legs. I was pinned. I had nothing. There was nothing I could do. But this suggestion was going through this recommendation, going through my mind as I was pinned, you need to do something to stand up for yourself. I had nothing. I had a voice. I said to the person, do you want me to call for help? Because I will. And uh, the abuse continued. He was wearing a pair of glasses and I had been pinned to the ground with a mouthful of food. So I spat. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> his glasses and he couldn't see. <laughs> I mean, I look at it and laugh now, but the point is doing something, just doing something to address that that power struggle, that power dynamic, the power over 
the complex PTSD leaves you with that pervading sense of powerlessness and it's very important. I believe this is where its roots are, Pamela. I believe it's in the patriarchy. Yes. You know, and that that's not healthy for men or for women. That struggle of power over. We we live in a system of power over and that's what it models for us. Power imbalance in relationships. It's not healthy for us. And I see that you're doing a lot of good in your program to empower women. Yes. Array for we you. need each other. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Such as I, I am a award-winning author of my book, Journey of a Sapphire. Mm. And I've come to understand that when it comes to trauma, it is important to share your story no matter if it is good or bad, mm. in order to start the healing process. Mm. What is your opinion when you share your story to the world? What was the point you are making? First of all, I wanted for other people going through the same experiences to not to know that they were not alone. That was my first intention. That was my first thought in writing my book. I was attending a bereaved parent support group, which I did for eight years. And it, this was about 18 months after my eldest son had taken his own life. And I was journaling furiously. And I thought, you know, I know how much it's helped me to see that other people have experienced this, have been in this place. People can say they understand, but unless you see a little detail that shows you, wow, they really do know, they know, they wouldn't say that, they wouldn't know that if they hadn't been here. I knew that I was articulating details of the journey that could show other bereaved parents that they were not alone. So that was my initial thought in sharing my story with the world. And as I've continued to, and especially as I've received feedback from people who've read the book who've never experienced any of these things, I see that, uh, you know, I deliberately chose anecdotes and to relay those anecdotes in ways that humans could identify with, that just uh, included uh, humanity and humanness and those who've never experienced any of these have got a lot out of it. They've got a real lift. They're even lighter at the end of such a heavy book because they've been able to see themselves in it and uh, be inspired to whatever their strengths, whatever they're seeing in that, just draw on those strengths in themselves to pull out when they need to. And I'm very pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Denny, you said... Suicide prevention sometimes just isn't enough. Mm. Why? Why would you say that? Is it something that you have gone through and you felt that it just wasn't enough resources out there? Um, you know, I want to give credit where credit's due. And I would say that... Um, there's a lot being done. You in America have a new number that was instigated in 2020, June or July 2020, a 988 number, which is a crisis number for suicide hotline. And that's great. 
That's a great move. I'd love to see our country do that too. Um, I, I come back to the fact that suicide is layered and had I been able to prevent my teenagers' deaths, I most certainly would have. You know, I I take the stand that a person has a right to choose. Yes. And my daughter, several months before she died, said she didn't believe that people really wanted to die by suicide. It's just that they want the pain to end. True. Mm. And so I think that it's the, it's the addressing of the pain, but also suicide prevention. You know, you need you need to not only stop a suicide, but to give a person a desire for life, and they're two different things. You know, so you you, you can prevent a suicide, but it's not the same as giving a person a reason to be here or addressing whatever existential pain that they had that led them to that point. And that's what needs to be addressed in order to, um, you know, address the situation at its roots. Mm. I like the depth psychology. That's what I gravitate to. I'm always interested in, <laughs> in the depths. <laughs> right? <laughs> I believe that behavioural problems and mental illness are two different issues even though they have similarities. What is your opinion about behavioral problems? And how do you think someone can overcome bad habits before it is considered to be identified as mental health issues? I think the, the definition, the difference is where it is causing a crack in the, in the system if behavioural issues are um, proving dysfunctional in a person's life, causing them problems or causing problems to those around them. Mm. That's what I think. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, one thing that I do take in consideration is that when we are babies and we're learning different things as we grow and we attain these bad habits mm. and if the bad habits are not really properly looked at and kind of I can say you know make sure that it's not being taken overboard or for granted and as parents, we tend to overlook that mm. Mm, doing that too much because remember, it's repetitive. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that customer service is all part of how we grow, learn, and we deal with how we interact with others. Mm. And that is also pertaining to how to overcome some of the bad habits that we have within ourselves. Mm. And that means from being truant in school, big mm. violence, you know, when you're dealing with someone who has a lot of anger issues, 
it's not good to react with the same issue of being angry. And that is the reason why my training program is all about customer service skills. Because once you have that down packed of understanding how we deal with one another is all about customer service skills, you can overcome a lot of different obstacles, even narcissistic ways from mm -hmm. individuals because they are people who have behavioral problems. So I find that very interesting, even with the girls that come in through my program and a lot of them don't realize that you can't play the victim if you don't take responsibility for yourself as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. Having said that, uh, in a situation such as domestic violence, you don't take responsibility for the abuse or the abuser for having caused that to you. You just take responsibility for what are you going to do now? This is happening. It, it will not stop. You know, Absolutely. it's rare situations in which it stops. And even if all the reasons why it's happening have nothing to do with you, this is the way it is. What are we going to do now? Yeah, and I speak to that because it affects a lot of mothers. And especially yes. when we have daughters yeah. who have gone through domestic violence, such mm -hmm. as my daughter. And that's mm -hmm. the reason why, again, I established my foundation. Mm -hmm. However, just in my heart and, and what I come to realize that she still has not taken the responsibility. And what a lot of them do is blame the mothers for not being able to put out the fires. Yes. For the road and the journey that they have decided to continue journeying on. Mm. And I say to all grandmothers and all mothers of daughters of domestic violence, stop at the stop sign. Yeah. Because at some point, it's not our fight. Mm. We are protectors. Mm. And we are supposed to make sure that our daughters or even our sons whom are going through this domestic violence take responsibility of self first mm. as we open our home to protect. Yeah. But when you don't do that, that mm. means that you're not only affecting themselves, but you're affecting the mother, the family itself, your closest friends and relatives. So it's very, very important. Yeah. I think whatever steps you take in a situation like that of domestic violence, you, it's important to know your intention and your intention should be to look after yourself because yourself is being abused and that's not what's happening. You're not being looked after. Um, I would advocate, uh, you know, just I would say protect yourself with rational thinking where you can. Have have a counsellor as support. Keep uh, a separate account that you call emergency funds. Just treat it seriously and, and you know, um, 
just develop uh, ways of coping with it that support you, that, that uh, nurture you and nourish you and, and have your best interests at heart, that, that focus on loving yourself because that situation is doing the opposite. Absolutely. I do agree. You also said that socially you would challenge the stigmas of suffering regards to your loss in domestic violence, teen suicide by talking about them to others. And I know we have touched bases about that, but I always, as you see, I will go back again because sometimes you have to reiterate to others what our conversation is really about. And we, we, we both are trying to reach other women and girls whom are going through this domestic violence. Can mm. you speak about that again, please? I'd just like to read you a quote from Elie Wiesel, who was a Holocaust survivor. He was a Jew in the Holocaust concentration camps. He said, and this is how I feel about what you've just asked me. I swore never to be silent whenever and wherever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must always take sides. Yes. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. So that's how I feel. Absolutely. <laughs> he also said, um, and this quote is at the beginning of my book, whosoever survives the test, whatever it may be, must tell the story. That is their duty. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so in your opinion, how do you help a child deal with an eating disorder? <sighs> that was a very, very difficult episode in our lives, Pamela. It was so difficult. It was so insidious, that illness. It was it was difficult for the household. You know, there was I it was me and my three children and my daughter, my only daughter, was my middle child at that point. Uh, I couldn't get uh her seen before anything had manifested. This is going back now, two decades or so. I couldn't have her seen when the worry was mine. Yes, I had a background in psychology and I knew some of the things that I was looking at, but it was a gut feeling that was rattling me. It was deeply unsettling to me, the things that I was seeing, and they were subtle little behaviours, just her over-interest in food and diet and exercise and counting calories and, um, you know, she had a perfectionistic personality. She was gifted and talented, and 87% of gifted and talented are perfectionists. This is a, a trait that often features in anorexia. And so eventually, when I could get help, I took my daughter to a GP, uh, a family physician, a dietitian and a psychologist. So we did those appointments every week for months and that did not prevent the unfoldment of fully blown anorexia nervosa. She eventually did have to be hospitalised. 
And by the time she was hospitalised, she was the sickest at anorexia admission her team had ever seen. So if you can get help, early intervention renders the best results. So if you can get onto it early and have it seen and tended to early, that's my recommendation. If you can get help for all the family with counselling, I recommend that too because it affected all of us. It affected uh, my eldest son. My daughter uh, had two hospitalisations. Uh, she was in, first of all, for six months. And then in the three months after she came out, she was actually mentally sicker than she was because the illness hadn't been addressed adequately. It is notoriously difficult to treat anorexia and it has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. Wow. So it was a difficult thing to deal with. It still is. It still has the highest mortality rate. She took off the weight they'd put on her. She took off half the weight they'd put on her in that six months. She took that off in three months. She was mentally more unwell when she returned home because the illness hadn't been addressed adequately. It's a mental illness. And she had to go into hospital again, be refed, and then she learned how to keep her body weight just under uh, her optimum BMI, body mass index. Then she had her first high school year without a hospitalisation and she came ducks. She's a very smart girl, <laughs> bright, and talented and beautiful. And uh, a month after that happened, after she came ducks, her brother, her older brother, who I was very close with. I loved all my children dearly. He took his own life. And as I say again, there are layers to suicides. That stress in our home was yet another layer. The powerlessness, the powerlessness we felt to do anything about that illness that was just kind of creeping around in our midst and we couldn't do anything about it. You know, fighting wasn't going to help. And she was sensitive. There's a level of denial in a, present in a lot of mental illness. And, um, you know, if she's not ready to face certain things about it, there's no point bringing it up with her and trying to argue about it. Argument, you know, it just didn't help. But um, I think you asked me what do we do to help, and I would recommend getting getting yourself to those professional people and keeping those appointments and aiming for really good uh, mental health support. And tell me, what are some of the signs when someone has anorexia? Um, would you like me to read it to you, passage from the book? I would love for you to read. Okay. Pursuit of perfection. Okay. If we choose our paths, then my daughter chose a massive challenge for hers. She was still a child when the crows began circling conspiratorially overhead, their vaguely identified issues mocking my powerlessness to stop them. The disquiet of watching Ellie eating more the year Simon was gone, 
wondering about the father absence in her life, about the effects of living with domestic violence, her former stepfather's issue with fat women, my own anxiety and single parenting, little negative things she'd say, little worries she'd express, her high-achieving drive, her perfectionism, her artistic nature, her keen interest in her idols, her over-interest in food, diets and exercise, all homing in on her with too much intensity, like magnets with her name on them. No one knew how much the crows rattled me. Ooh! Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me cry. <laughs> it was a very intense uh, episode that anorexia journey. Mm. <laughs> you know, in my opinion right now, we are in chaos in the world mm. and confusion. Ah. Abuse against children has risen. Yeah. And your focus is to help reach others. What would be one of the most important things that you would do to reach out besides the book? What else would you do? To, to reach out to families whom are going through this abuse with children whom are, because we know that, like you stated, when a mother is being abused, mm -hmm. the children is really feeling okay. everything that the mother is feeling. And when, especially when you're young and you're helpless and everything, we need to be able to reach that audience as well. Do, do you have any suggestions? We both I have, and we, we have those books out there. Hmm. What else can we do? And I'm just asking, and we may not have a solution, but we can think about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to make use of the digital world. You are doing that. And this is my next suggestion after my book, Still Standing. My next suggestion is raising public awareness through conversations like you and I having right now. This is the edge. I do agree. Uh, I think, you know, <clears throat> time has uh, intensified. It appears to be speeding up. <laughs> and so <laughs> people, don't, people don't have time, you know, they might not have time to read a blog. Blogs are good. Uh, if they don't have time to read a book, they might have time to put their earbuds in and listen to a podcast. Absolutely. And, I, and I just think that keeping our voices current and um, having these conversations, raising public awareness is our step. I do agree. Mm -hmm. But before we go, we've touched bases on so many different things, but tell me more about the book. <laughs> 
It's a really good book. (laughs) (laughs) It's been sold in different countries. Um, As you mentioned, yes, I'm proud that it's in three of our Australian universities and being used (laughs) undergraduate and postgraduate in different disciplines, um, contributing to the minds of the fields of tomorrow. It, It means that our stories are not wasted, our pain is not wasted. My children and I, as a family, are helping, you know, helping firstly for people to not feel alone and secondly for them to feel inspired to their own greater potential. That's really important to me. It's an honour, actually, because a lot of people go through pain and don't get to make meaning of it. So the fact that... The fact that we're able to do that, I'm grateful and thank you for having me on your program. You are so welcome. I thank (laughs) you for even joining me. And you helped inspire me today because I have my own journey that Mm -hmm. I share with others. And it's important that even me, the leader, the mentor, I have someone to inspire me because as a woman, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard. And especially when you deal with trauma and you deal with obstacles and loss and everything. And then now we both decided to help others and share with others. And through my foundation, my focus are girls who are, in disadvantaged areas or at risk. And even with their stories, I'm like, oh my God, I need a big home, a large facility and have my girls and let them just flourish and keep them safe because that is what they need. And that is, so special to me. So I thank you so much for sharing. I mean, you have a phenomenal story and um, I am going to share it with everyone. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm thinking of you coming up to Mother's Day too. Yes. Thank you so much. And I know we are up for time, but my last question is, it has really been a pleasure having you on my show. And I'm looking forward to you coming back because we have to continue to finish this conversation. And we both have different things that we can share, you know, what we have already done and accomplished and whom we have reached Yes. I look forward to chatting with you further in the future. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to say before we go? Yes. People can purchase Still Standing at my website, which is dennymeek.com, D-E-N-N-Y-M-E-E-K.com, or at all good bookstores, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Booktopia, etc., I just like to put them onto that. There's a free download on my website too about just my thoughts on being around bereaved people. If anybody would like to read a bit further, yes. And will I? I 
suggest that I hope you are continuing to be around people and other women whom can empower you in the same. That's what I'm doing too. Mm. And I just feed off my thought leaders. I need it. I need it. I need it. It's just like food. And I love them for that. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, that was my healing. Yes. My thought leaders were my healing. Yes. And my mentors, Les Brown, Tony Robbins, and the main person, Bob Proctor, whom had taken me in and treated me just like a daughter. And I never forget. And I get teary eyed sometimes because when I was going through his training, he was just on me and he was, you know, Pamela, I choose you. And when he stated that, he meant that. And he messaged that and he said, let's move forward. And here I'm in, here I am in my darkest hour, just like, you know, you know, what am I going to do? But again, without you guys, without you, without others, without all the thought leaders whom have joined me on my show have helped me to be who I am today. So I am grateful for that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm grateful to you for being there. (laughs) Thank you. Well, listeners, I have reached my destination. I am award-winning author of the new book, A Journey of a Sapphire. I hope to inspire others whom are on their journey or whom have been faced with challenges and obstacles to never give up on your dreams because you never know who's in the universe is listening. I leave you with this quote and do have a beautiful day. Time alone does not heal. It is the loyalty to life that heals. Stephanie Erickson. Thank you so much and join me. Until next time, have a beautiful day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to All Roads 65 Max Radio with Pamela Henderson. Join us every other week on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio Station One. And please visit allroads65max.org and become a volunteer or sponsor and be the change you want to see in this world. With your help, we can make a difference in our society and uplift those who so desperately need our help. Thank you for tuning in.